What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Right on. Ryan Lampers, how are you today? Doing great, Andy. Yeah? Doing great. Thanks so much for making the adventure down here for a second day. A second day. Yeah, (laughs) yesterday didn't quite work out, did it? (laughs) No. Well, you know what's so crazy? Uh, This morning I woke up and I was looking at my Instagram feed and someone in their story or in their their picture or whatever hard post had put uh, a picture of something that had gone through their tires mm. on 90 was it somewhere out by three forks i think so is i must have hit the same thing so were you was there like 20 or 30 cars on the side of the road by you <laughs> i don't know i i uh it got me somewhere yeah between belgrade exit so yeah jackrabbit and three forks yeah and i don't know what happened all of a sudden yeah lights come on tire pressure five <laughs> tire pressure sensors yeah gotta love and those things might so suck I, I ripped over to the side looked out and i was like god oh, dang it and i'm like 15 minutes from the time i'm supposed to be here so yeah yeah and i had a little rodeo trying to get that thing off how'd but, that go well my wife ended up having to grab a deep well socket for me because uh yeah when i grabbed this truck i don't know it's got those silly metal moto rims on it right so the lug wrench that was in there didn't quite fit now the idiot i am i didn't check mm-hmm. just assumed it had everything there so <laughs> it's my bad but uh i got all the tools now to rip that sucker off and got it done in short short order it was easy fix but they said they didn't there was no nail there was no nothing it was just a hole so yeah. something that just grabbed me on, on the freeway there yeah probably the same dude ran over the same thing oh yeah that well that's yeah. what i was thinking and in his post it was like there was 20 to 30 cars on the side uh, of the road yeah. so it sounded like a truck had spilled a bunch of whatever it was could have i sat there i got some work done on the phone though i hey. can tell you that so it worked that's, out that's a good way to get things done. I always get yeah. my most of my work done when I'm in my truck. Yeah, same yeah. here, same here. It's kind of nice. It's quiet. It is quiet. Two girls at the house. Sometimes I'm sitting in the driveway when I get, you know, pull up to the house. I'll get like 30 minutes of uh, quiet work done on the phone. It's great. Just sitting out in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I notice my wife does the same thing too. So <laughs> she can't fault me for it. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So. We're here today, and I kind of want to know more about you, your history. We were talking on the phone the other day, mm-hmm. and you were talking about you know seeing a photo from thirty years ago mm-hmm. of hunting, yeah, you know, and and what a difference that is, you know, and and how interesting to think, you know, because when you said that, it kind of struck a chord with me. Cause like I look back at photos and I'm like, man, that was 16 years ago already. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, how did I get, how did it go so fast? How did it go so fast? And how did I get to where I am today? You know, and look back at these old, old hunting photos with, you know, my family or whoever I'm hunting with. Right. Get to relive the adventure. But at the same time, it's like, where did it all go? What happened? 
Well, I can tell you. I don't know how old you are, Andy. 36. Uh, 36. I got you beat. So I'm 48 now. So, yeah, 16 years ago, or it's really bad when you start saying 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, that and that was the, the pinnacle point of yeah. that conversation. So I started talking to my kids about stories. You know, my daughter's 13. So, you know, it's that time we're telling stories about when we were her age, you know, and and we're looking back at things that we used to do with uh, my dad as a young teenager and going through the teenage years in high school and all that stuff. Anyway, I have all these conversations with what she deals with in school right now, you know, being in junior high. But yeah, God, when that you start, was a rough time of life, man. Oh, I hated it. Can you? I mean, <laughs> I absolutely hated. I high couldn't school. imagine going through mm-hmm. junior high school mm-hmm. with the technology that we have available today. Yeah, it's totally foreign to me. I don't even know how it works yeah. today compared to what we did. Um, you know, no cell phones back then, none of that jazz. There was no social media. The um, internet was AOL dial-up. It was. It was very, very, very slow. I mean, I think I don't. I mean, the kids definitely don't grasp our lifestyle at their age. Like my life at thirteen, how different it is from my daughter's life at thirteen. What was um, your life at thirteen? much slower like it was there was no coming home and you know begging my parents to watch a movie or getting on social or and we don't let our daughter do the social stuff anyway but i feel like a lot of folks that is that is what they do when they get home from school does she ever ask you why she can't do social media Mm, i think she kind of gets it i think she's heard us just in conversation you know it can engulf your life it can frustrate it can um yeah, I, I think there's detriments to it. Now, there's there's a fun side and entertainment value to it, no doubt. Um, and inevitably, she's going to get on there. But right now, there's so many more important things to do. I mean, um, you know, just just the education part at this time in her life. Um, she's really getting into sports. You know, your practice time suffers if you're rooting around on a phone or, you know, doing all Everything that kind suffers. of stuff. Everything suffers. Yeah, right? your, your physical fitness suffers. Mm-hmm. Your your desire to go out and go grab a hike with your dad, you know, when you can just get locked into this phone. I don't want to see that, and we're going to try to keep it at bay as best we can for as long as possible. <laughs> That's good parenting right there. But honestly, you know, I think um, she's not, she hasn't expressed to us that this is something that she's, like, craving. She's never said, hey, I want to start an Instagram, or I want to get a Facebook page. She's never expressed that. Um, I think where we see it more is just, having she does have a phone because she's 13 she plays sports it's a great way for us to communicate um is it a flip phone no it's not it's it's mom's old phone <laughs> <laughs> but you know we can turn internet off on it it's uh oh that's when, handy when we want it to um but it's more of a communication device for us you know when she's uh, playing these after school sports and things like that and that's kind of what we use it for see when i was 13 I mean, I was off to the races. I'd been drinking and drugging and doing everything I was doing at 13 years old. I've been doing it for three years by that point. But when I was 13, like cell phones, you know, if, if your parents wanted to get a hold of you because you had like extracurricular activities after school, that the only way they got a hold of you is like, did you show up at 5 p.m. when Mm -hmm. you were supposed to be home or a payphone? Payphones. Remember those? Yeah. That was it. Like, that was it. That was the only way. Or call your buddy's house and call their parents and see if you showed up. Like Track down the kid. Yeah. I can't. I mean, it's just such a different time. Yeah. I mean, I look back when I was 13, and um, 
you know, it was very slow pace, which mm-hmm. I loved. That's just kind of my pace anyway, even now today at 48. Very still slow. going slow? Still going pretty slow. I'm a slow thinker, slow slow walker, slow, well, I guess I hike pretty fast. But uh, no, I, just, for that. I just love that, uh, that time in my life back then um, because we lived out, you know, um, kind of in the sticks. I had nothing but woods surrounding my house. So mm-hmm. I would grab the raft and hike it down to old Panther Lake down in Snohomish, Washington, and I'd go fishing after school. Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Little house out uh, off, yeah, Three Lakes Road down by Panther Lake. It was great. And so, you know, I was pretty antisocial. I'm still, uh, <laughs> but I was very antisocial back then, very introverted. Wait, don't you throw an event with like I do, a few but hundred I, people? I surround there? myself with great educators and talkers. <laughs> so I still don't have to Keeps talk Keeps you too to much. a minimum. It does, it does. <laughs> but definitely not my thing. Now I've come out of my shell a little bit, but back then it was really bad. Um, I mean, I just, I just, all the entertainment I needed was in the woods or fishing, you know, it's a slow, it's like, uh, it's like today's baseball. I don't think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like, you know, the game of baseball, for example, I don't know if it's crushing in today's world because it is a slower game. I absolutely love baseball. That was my sport back Mm -hmm. then. Um, kind of slow paced. Um, but fishing and hunting and just being outdoors that was it riding the dirt bike well, fishing uh, and hunting is and it's like really that. interesting because it's really slow slow paced yep. and it can change mm-hmm. to some of the most intense stuff you've ever experienced at the drop of a hat oh it's huge swings yeah huge swings yeah especially spring bear which we're about to <laughs> venture into it's like the slowest 95 percent of your day is sitting and waiting and glassing and hoping and then you get that last hour of daylight, and it's like, there's a bear, we're going. And it's just sprint, sprint, sprint. So slow to fast. Are you looking forward to bear hunting with dogs at all, or are you not going to go down that avenue? Yeah, I've never, I'm just not, I've just never done it. Growing up in Washington, they outlawed it a long time ago, um, a while back. And then, you know, I just started doing the spot and stock game. Back there, it was fall bear hunts more than spring bear hunts. They weren't giving out a whole lot of spring tags. So we chased fall bears in the berry fields in the high country. And so the dogs weren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know here in Montana, you know, it just became legal here. Um, but I'm not going to do it. I, man, honestly, Andy, I love, maybe there's, maybe there's more exercise than I'm giving it credit for. But I love getting out on glass and perches, glassing up bears and going for it. And that's just my style. I, I mean, so my only experience with hunting with hounds has been with mountain lion yeah and hunting with hounds for mountain lions like that can either be a thousand yard day or a 17 mile day yeah and it all is based upon where the animal's going and what that animal wants to do so it can be super labor intensive but it also cannot be super labor intensive um i think for the houndsman there's a lot of labor of love involved in raising the dogs raising the dogs right you know and and everything that goes in on the back end of it uh, oh, they love their dog. I mean, man, I, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, grab a houndsman and go chase cats or, or maybe bears in this state. You should get hooked up with Bryce. Bryce, yeah. Bryce would be happy to take you out. Oh, sure. I know, yeah. I know you can kind of see, you know, the houndsmen just light up and they start talking about running cats or dogs. I mean, they love it. So yeah. One of these years I'll give it a shot. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. This year, my goal when I went out to 
Killicat was my dad back in the 1980s used to build all of his own traditional bows from scratch. Okay. Because he's a contractor and, mm. you know, great, great with anything that he did. <clears throat> he built five bows and they're all phenomenal bows. I have one of them. So my goal this year was I was going to go kill a cat with a bow that my dad made mm-hmm. from scratch. Heck yeah. Jumped in my buddy's truck and he's like, you have your bow enhancement stamp, right? Or whatever the bow and arrow or uh, whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. Obviously ignorant, new to the state. <laughs> um, California, you didn't need that. Yeah. And I was like, what's that? No, I don't have it. He's like, well, you ain't killing nothing with your bow. I was like, all right, cool. We'll do it next year. Yeah. Next year. But Hmm. I'm excited for spring bear. Spring bear is going to be pretty, pretty amazing. I, it's funny. Like I didn't used to, like mule deer has always been my number one, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what your, your favorite game animal is. Is it mule deer? Absolutely. I I love sheep. I I love sheep hunting. You just, you're just that much cooler. (laughs) But, uh, it's funny because spring bear, um, you know, we've been doing it a long time and every year I feel like I love it just a little bit more, a little bit more. Like it's not going to catch mule deer ever, but that time of year being out there, uh, going around, you know, these days I feel like it's the golden era for bears. We see a lot of bears. Like it's no, there's no shortage of them. Absolutely. Uh, If you're in the right areas, you know, you're not, you're not looking for one. You're, have an opportunity to see multiple bears and kind of pick and choose which one you're going for. Well, and I think that's also, uh, that could be said for nationwide. I think that the black bear population is on a huge, huge uptick. It is. You Expanding know, the range in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I think that it got hammered on maybe for a lot of years um, all across the nation. Go back three decades or something like that. Yeah. And then there's, in the last three decades or four decades, there's been a ton of regulation put on bear hunting and, mm-hmm. you know, how you can do it, what you can do bait no bait blah 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 blah, increase the list so now i think we're looking at you know and i can only speak because statistically i know california's bear stuff pretty well you know you're looking at when they when they got rid of the the hounds for bears there was an instant drop in the amount of bears that were killed every year every season and the problem with that is you're falling short of you know, five, six, seven hundred bears every year, or sometimes eight hundred bears every year. How many are female? How many mm-hmm. cubs are they having? One or two cubs every year, you know, and increase that by we're coming into eight years or nine years now. That's a lot of extra bears That's in the field every year that are producing mm-hmm. every year. So the surplus is just immense. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I come, you come from California. I come from Washington State. Very similar. Yeah. You know, we, they banned cougar and, uh, and bear hound hunting way back. I wish I knew what year it was, but I was, I was pretty young. And, uh, you know, after that happened, you know, we were wondering, well, what's, how are we going to compensate? Like, how are we going to take down as many as we did before? So they started throwing numbers, like made it you know longer season as far as the cats go really an extended season for cats but then the bear side um we were allowed to take two bears and i don't feel like the numbers but one thing that happened that i can (laughs) that we saw because we had some property on the outskirts of granite falls um the state came in and they took a lot of those hound guys out of the woods 
So what the state had to do to kind of compensate for the numbers that weren't getting taken was they ended up hiring a lot of these houndsmen, took the tags away from the public, but now we're paying houndsmen to go kill these bears that they needed to be killed anyway. Yeah. So we're literally paying when we would pay ourselves. Misappropriation of funds right there. Yeah, and that, that doesn't really <laughs> doesn't uh, jive. look at the bottom line there. I mean, what does the state look at the bottom line anyway? But uh, yeah, pay, literally, literally paying for something that people would pay to do and they're doing they're having the same effect mm -hmm. so i know when they put it in the the lingo in there was you know cruel and inhumane and barbaric hsus <laughs> yeah that's california washington in a nutshell but yeah, yeah there's a lot of a lot of scary things when it comes to bear hunting right now um this year especially there's a lot of folks on the on the attack but um, one thing about Washington State, when they made it a two bear, uh, well, for the longest time, we could grab one bear on the east side of the mountains, one, one bear on the west side of the mountains. Um, now they're trying to even do it even better. It's an August 1st start date. You got all through August, September, into November. And two bears on the west side, two bears on the east side, one on each side, it doesn't matter. They're doing... They're trying to make it to where we're getting some numbers. Uh, so it's kind of like an open zone tag, pretty much. Yeah, for yeah. the entire state. And the bears, the bear numbers are sky high. It's it's not a it's not a hard um, hunt to go out in the fall, park it on a berry field, um, work the high country, and just find fat slob bears that have been <laughs> feeding on berries, you know, for a couple of weeks, and they just. They just bloom right up, and that's some of the best-eating bears that you'll ever come across. Have you ever cut into a bear and had the fat different colors? You know, I've from, heard from I've eating heard, berries and stuff. I've like that. heard that. I've never noticed it, and it's it's crazy that I haven't because I am I literally hunted fall bears for most of my life. Um, in just, berry patches, just in berry patches. Now you see this six-inch layer of fat sometimes, where your bear is just. I mean, you roll them down the hill, he's like a bowling ball. They're just <laughs> fatter than they are long, you know, just obese. When you can drive the blade of your knife down, you know, up where the backstrap is and, and go six inches going. on fat before you hit backstrap, you got a nice fat fall bear. Yeah. And yeah, that's some of the best rendered, you know, fat you can get and some of the best meat you'll ever eat. Yeah. By far. I had the rivets prepare bear for me oh, out nice. at uh, Winter Strong. Mm-hmm. And the way that they cook bears, unlike anything I've ever had when it comes to bear meat. Cause I'm I've had curious. Some... I, I'm always curious as far as new ways to cook bear. Oh my God. They, they just, how did they do it? Uh, I think that like was a... like a low and slow smoke low for slow. 18 or 24 hours maybe, but I don't know what seasonings they put on it and gotcha. everything else that was involved in it. But God, yeah. those guys can cook some bear meat like nobody's business. Man, it's funny cause you know, we've done a lot of these bear hunts and we filmed a lot of them now and there's questions that pour in when it comes to bear there's still a mystery with a lot of people mm -hmm. it's catching on but it's 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 still nowhere near where bear or where deer everybody gets is. worried about trigonosis they do they hear about the trick and you know it's not really a worry if you do it right mm -hmm. um you and i both know that you cook it well you're, you're good to go and like the most glorious thing about bear meat andy is what you can you can char the crud out of that thing practically seems like you're overcooking it and it's still got a good flavor to it mm -hmm. there's just so much fat involved there's so much fat internally in there yeah um you it's know like you gotta a wagyu get the, almost you got to get the temperature up 160 is what they say um i know trick dies at 137 
160 is that number that they put on it just to make sure <laughs> that it's, it's, there's no tricky trick left in the meat, which is a good number. Yeah. Um, you We're, get it to that and you're, you're safe, but canning it is hard to beat. Like we can a lot can, of that. Canned meat. Uh, God, I was with, um, Oh, what's the gal's name? Anya. She ran a company in California for, for a bit before she stepped away from it called Belcampo meats. Mm. And um, I'd bring her elk meat, and then we'd do canning, and she'd can the elk meat. It's so nice. And I mean, that's some of the best elk meat. It's good to go. It's like whenever you are ready to eat some good grub, just pop a top. I'd show up in camp with my cast iron, and I'd just dump the jar into a cast iron pan and heat it up. Simmer it a little bit, and you could do pulled elk sandwiches, and they were just unbelievable. You can't go wrong with canned meat of any types, but when it comes to bear, like you savor all that fat that's in the bear meat when Mm -hmm. you can it, and we do the same thing. Like I'll come back, and I'll make dehydrated meals with that meat later, and I'll even use just the canned meat. It's it's like over. (laughs) It's like doing it twice, but, um, you know, or, you know, we'll just get back after a long day, like you said, pop the top, dump it in a pan, add some red sauce. It's like the best sauce you've ever had with, with bear meat, a nice fatty bear meat in there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of canning a lot of bear. And we'll probably do half of a bear canned um, every season. That sounds so good. Yeah. And the rendered fat stuff is a whole different game. But, you know, if you're a spring bear guy, you tend to not have access to a lot of fat. Um, every once in a while you get a spring bear that's just ridiculously loaded, yeah. but most oftentimes they're you're coming out of hibernation. Yeah, so. there's just not much left. But those fall bears, um, I mean, I'm taking my daughter back to Washington State this year for a fall bear hunt. She wants to take her first bear. And I took her on a hunt when she was eight years old. Um, and we went, I had a tag. She hadn't passed hunter safety yet. I had a tag. And an eight-year-old kid, I took her to a spot. It ended up being 10 miles in, just under 10 miles in. Next morning, I the weather came in. It was great. We were just like hanging out up there in the high country. There were still berries all over the place. Weather moved out. We got out of the tent, saw multiple bears, found a good one, just this fat chocolate, roly-poly, berry-fed bear. <laughs> we shot it. Um, and it, it was it was a whole really cool story how we ended up getting that thing unpinned from this cliff. But she remembers that. And so we're I'm I'm scheduling a trip this this fall for Washington. I got two weeks in the middle of August. And we're going back to that same exact spot to try to relive that hunt. This time she'll have the tag. How cool. But we want that that fat, like rendered down stuff for the house because we're completely bone dry of render down bear fat right now really so you'll render all you'll save all the bear fat you cut off if it's six inches you'll just slice it load it in your game bags and take that off yeah just take a separate game bag load up all the fat in it and uh bring that home cube it up slow cook it get all the fat out pull out the crispies sit you know strain it obviously and that stuff has a shelf life of eternity really and yeah we bake with it you know you use it for a bunch of different things but it's nice to have yeah so it's cool. It's just another cool way to use, utilize some of your bear. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, there's so much, I mean, for someone who's hunted my entire life, there's so much still that I have yet to experience yep. for hunting, mm-hmm. you know, like rendering down bear fat 
or yeah. anything like that. I mean, I've had it, but I've well, never we'll done it. Well, we'll bring you a jar if we yeah. are successful this fall because I plan <laughs> well, on. I'd appreciate that. We're gonna we're gonna definitely grab a bear over there. It's um, again, there's no shortage of them, and if you have a few days to stack on top of each other, you're gonna you're gonna do well. Yeah. So, I got a few days. I try to keep my 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 hunting seasons open. Yeah. That's a very big part of. My cooking business is that's that. why we run all these other entrepreneurial businesses, <laughs> right? To have the freedom to go every fall and chase our dreams. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm look I'm excited. I got a I got a couple good hunts coming up this year, and then the following year I got a really good hunt coming up that'll be a first time for myself. Yeah, pretty excited for that. It should be a really good time. But nice. just on. getting to experience more of of what I love through hustling my ass off for the last five years, building my own business and everything like that. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So something you were talking about when you were 13, you know, the the rivers and the lakes and the the woods, the outdoors, something I always say is nature is my church. You know, nature is kind of what grounded me and brought me back to perspective reality coming out of alcoholism and drug addiction Mm -hmm. when I was, First, when I was 15, and then again, I had relapsed and, you know, re-experienced it. I was convinced that I was not mm-hmm. an alcoholic and dove back down the trials and tribulation road. Um, and when I came back out, nature is my saving grace, you know. So That's cool. When you talk about what that meant for you, I mean, I remember my whole childhood growing up. Like, as a family, we'd go camping or weekday afternoons there was a couple lakes by my parents house and we'd go up there and we'd do a barbecue and i'd run around in the forest the whole day picking up sticks and playing guns with my buddies or gnomes or you know there was one place that we always played in and we called it stump land because they had gone in and cut out all the trees Mm. but or they had thinned it out they hadn't clear cut it so it was just a really really neat place to experience as a kid and let your imagination run wild did you say gnomes yeah what's this i haven't did i miss what's gnomes we we would just like so we're 10 12 years apart so when i was growing up there was a show called david the gnome and i don't know if you ever saw that show but it was a it was a husband and a wife gnome and you know they had a fox they'd ride around on and you know they lived in the forest and the whole deal so we would just all go back out and be worker gnomes and building little structures and all that kind of stuff at seven, eight, nine years old, nice. having a good night. It was before I dove into drugs and alcohol, obviously. My imagination still worked <laughs> for sure. In a in a really productive way. Yeah. Um very different than the business mindset that came with everything else that I was doing when I was right. just a few years older. But uh you know, nature is my church. I mean, and, and that's, that resonates with me because that saved my life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and having you know, that mentality and everything you're talking about and instilling that into your 13 year old daughter and, you know, trying to expose her to how you were brought up and, you know, what you thought and, and what worked for you mm-hmm. in your upbringing. It's just awesome. Yeah. When I look back, you know, in those early teen years and before that, I was just, you know, I was blessed with good parents. Um, I mean, my father, very, 
he was a very selfish guy in that he loved to hunt and fish, you know, and he, there was nothing going to stop him it's from relatable. doing his thing. Um, relatable. Yeah, I think I got, I got, I definitely got some selfishness from him. Um, Especially when it comes to the outdoors. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to take my time, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I look back at those days when I was a kid and man, I felt like I was the luckiest kid in the world because I had access to go out, hit the woods. I wasn't living in a city. You know, who knows where my life would be if I was living in a city, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, who said, was it Rogan say cities make you weird? Yeah. Um, who knows where I'd cities be. Cities make you weird, man. If, if I didn't have that outlet to go, because again, I was a loner by nature, introverted, kind of awkward in conversation, didn't have a crud ton of friends. You know, I had close friends, very few of them. Um, so I enjoyed myself. My time alone, I loved it. So it's I could like go safe out, space. take a ride on a motorcycle through the power line trails that were out there. And I just... You know, be gone for the whole day, come back at dark. Or I just grab my raft, like I said, hike it down to the lake, uh, troll around all day, catching fish on whatever lake I hiked it to, and I'd be completely content at the end of the day. I was wore out. Um, I got my nature time in. I got my alone time in, and it was great. And um, you got some fishing in. And I got some fishing <laughs> in, and, and that, that went all the way into my late teens where, you know, I was an absolute river bum fishing steelhead on the rivers of washington state did, did you ever Scotch fish for Lake. sturgeon out there too or? oh yeah oh yeah no That's washington's so very good when it yeah. comes to this is ample fishing, fishing opportunity man yeah now it's 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 changed a lot now with regulations there's regulations every day i feel like you need to roll over in the morning check the regegulations before, before you, you go, go fishing because dude that's a huge crazy. reason why i left california was because they continued to change fishing regulations you never know if you're going to get a season yeah. or what's in the regs may change you know day to day so yeah. that's why i like it over here like these rivers just stay open you can fish them um you got some consistency but no very diverse as far as all the fishing i was a i was an absolute nut when it came to steelhead fishing mm -hmm. i felt like that was like the cream of the crop now would you do like lure fishing or? yeah no i was yeah definitely um you know it's funny so a little backstory to me is uh, my family business was into fishing bait and lures and tackle and terminal stuff. Really? And they still have that business today. Now, I ran that business for years. Um, I kind of took it over, retired my dad, and got him his nice 60 acres, and he never had to work again. And we took it <laughs> not over. A bad and, dad, not a bad son No, he right got there. to hunt and fish and <laughs> do his thing all he wanted, and, and my mother. But um, no, that was, a, that was the family business growing up. So from when I was four years old, I was going out onto the beach, out on Camano Island, and we had a, a lease out there, and we we're using a clam gun, and we're harvesting sand shrimp out of the sand mm -hmm. with five-gallon buckets. And then my dad would bring those down to stores and sell those to these stores, these bait shops and these like gas stations. And that turned into a multi-million dollar business over time yeah. because it grew and it, it it, we started getting into all these corporate accounts and the Bass Pros and the Cabela's and the Sportsman's and how Dick's fucking and cool all of those. So Dude. I went from I went from bait, bait and terminal guy, and then I went. I'm not going to say snobby because I I fish any which way. Yeah, I just like my hunting. I like to <laughs> bow hunt. I like to rifle hunt, muzzleloader hunt. Equal opportunity. Any, anything that keeps you out there longer. It's, yeah, whatever season it is, if that's the weapon I need to pick to have that season, Let's go. I'm taking it. But I went to, uh, I, I became a fishing guide. And so I, a uh, fly fishing guide of all things. 
growing up in the Bay world, and then I went into this, this world of uh, uppity-ups, I guess. Very snobby fly fishing, some mm-hmm. of them. And then there's the coolest fly fishing you'll ever meet. Um, but I guided in Alaska for a bunch of years. And then I went to Russia for a couple of years, and I guided the cream of the crop of folks over there. Wait, Russia? Mm-hmm. What was that like? So I put in a bunch of time in the, in the Alaskan system. Mm-hmm. So we were fishing kings. We were fishing sockeye and rainbows and grayling and pike and the whole bit off the, uh, up out of King Salmon. I worked at a lodge up there, um, had a great clientele, learned a ton. Um, really knew that area well. Fly out rivers, it was great. And that set me up to get an uh, opportunity. Uh, they picked a couple of guides to go take on this Kamchatka steelhead project. Get up. So it was the Kamchatka Peninsula is where we got over. So when Kamchatka's the Soviet, on my bucket when list the Soviet Union, sure. when it fell, you mm-hmm. know, it took a while before us Americans were able to go over there. And, you know, things were opening up, you know, markets were opening up. And so we get, got in on the front end of that. That was in the 90s. And we were able to get over there and learn rivers, bring fly fishing guys in, catch giant rainbows. You I know, mean, I would have to imagine. Yeah. Rainbows, yeah. You know, I would have to imagine. They're huge. Yeah, legit. Like Because it's the, relatively un, unchecked waters. So you basically look at Kamchatka. It's just right across from Alaska, right? It's the closest piece. You can practically see it. Um, well, you can see it. And look at what... Alaska was probably a hundred years ago before float planes settled there before, before float planes just like got everywhere they needed to get dominated. That's what Kamchatka (laughs) was because it was only, it was like a military only type area. Right. And then it became more open to the public when, when everything fell. And so we got in on the front end of that. We're able to get over there, kind of learn their fishery. Uh, A lot of it was, kind of um, wrapped up in the steelhead side of it. We wanted to bring clients over there. It's, it was the last true wild native steelhead on the planet with absolute zero hatchery effect. So we got to be a part of that. Um, so we'd have a biologist with us. We'd tag every fish we caught. We'd take fin samples and scale samples and take you know detailed notes on every where we caught it, the length, girth, all the things. No way. And so we got to... And it was, it was one of the coolest points in my life because here's the deal. We would literally sit in these big Mi-8 choppers, you know, those Russian-built military choppers. Yeah. And we'd sit up there with the pilots and, you know, there's two pilots and we're looking down and we're like scoping out rivers for possible camps for our steelhead clients. And we'd say, eh, you know, that, that run right there looks pretty good. I think we could, we could fish that. We could fly fish that. We got a nice little camp spot. So they'd dump us on the bar. We'd go fish it. We'd figure out if this is a potential spot to bring clients. <laughs> and so we'd, we'd bring clients into a lot of these rivers. Um, and then we had, that was on the west side of the peninsula. And then on the east side, the closest piece to Alaska there, that's where we fished those giant rainbows. So there's a, a, a river called the uh, um, Japonima. Giant river, goes forever. Basically, it runs you right up into the land of volcanoes. There's volcanoes everywhere on Kamchatka. It's just, what do they call it? The land of lakes and volcanoes and rivers. Um, It's just, it's a massive area, and it's very active. And you're constantly hearing volcanoes go off, and you're constantly seeing them go off. Like, if you're, you could be standing on the river, and if you just look up, 
and you're watching the top of one of them. You Do know, you have any photographs from any of this from while you were there? Oh, or did I've you got guys picture albums like crazy? Oh it, my god, I, I got to see these one day. <laughs> I've got so many old photo albums, um, just from the past. Because you're talking early '90s, so there's no digital. Everything is Not filmed. everything's in a in an album somewhere. That's yeah. so cool. No, no digital <laughs> back then, but I spent two years doing that and uh, got to see some of the coolest country, meet some of the best people. Um, got a guide with other Russians over there that, you know, really tough, tough, hardened kids that, you know, were living out on that Dude, peninsula. Russians are raw folks. They're man. tough, man. Yeah. Though they are tougher than us. I'll yeah. just say it. Those kids that would come out and guide for bears and things like that. Um, I mean, I could, I could sit here for two hours and tell stories, but no, they're tough. No doubt about it. Yeah. But what a place. I mean, I hated not going over there, but I was married at the time. You know, I met my wife in Alaska at a lodge and then got married. So being away for six months out of the year, married was really tough. Brutal. Really tough. So I only did it for a couple of seasons and then I gave it up and I decided not to go see any more of the world and in that so did you go back into bait i did okay i did so i went from i went from the bait i went to the fly fishing extreme um seeing some of the most remarkable landscapes on the planet Mm -hmm. i'm sure oh yeah for sure i mean alaska is one thing and then looking at where we got to see every river system that we got to see all the different fish from giant leopard printed rainbows i mean literally speckled down to their eyelids kunja which is a really unique char that is that is um that russia has um you know some giant dollies true dollies huge salmon uh and then the steelhead that we were catching just swinging flies um just some of the most stupid steelhead fishing you'll ever see in your life if you're a, if you're well, a fly sure fisherman doesn't even exist anymore no, not no, to that. Not to that. that good. I mean, we had, yeah, we had days that you just can't even. Holy people shit! People wouldn't even believe you as far as uh, numbers of steelhead we catch in a day on a fly <laughs> rod. So, and these are with guys that you know. We got some pretty green folks. Like we were literally teaching them how to cast a spay rod when they showed up off the helicopter. They're like, <laughs> "All right, well, this is going to be a long week, but let's start here." You know. <laughs> And so they'd oftentimes just have us, you know, get the fly out and then they'd hold on and skate it fast. And it was crazy stuff, but no, we had a great time. So back to bait. And went back to bait. How did that, that business? How was that transition for you? Did you ever miss it or want to go back? Or were you just, you, you were kind of, you accepted that you lived it. You had a great time doing it. The fly fishing part. Yeah. And yeah. then you moved right back on into progressing your career and your family's business yeah it was one of those deals where it was a family business so you know you got obligations um the business supported my folks that was a big part of it it supported my cousin was he he got involved my sister and her family got involved and so we we had you know families that were needing to be fed through this business and it was successful it was a great business good clean honest work it kept us around good people um, you know, regulations and things like that got are always tough, especially yep. in Washington. But no, it, we, we did it right. Um, I, I loved it, but I got really bored with it. Um, mundane. I, it did get mundane. You know, you get to the point where you kind of know how the, it's all going. And then it's like the same people, the same process, the same struggles. And so 
I turned it over to my cousin and he still runs it today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talk about it often. But no, I stepped away and my wife convinced me to come on over here to Montana, which is where she grew up in Bozeman. And uh, we decided to take that leap where I would leave the family business as hard as that was gonna be for me. Because, you know, you get that, you wanna be loyal. You don't want to like. Was there any resentment in the family? Did any no. like no negative blowback from that? No, no. I remember Everyone sitting was down, supported. Sitting down with my dad, and like I said, he's been retired for the longest time. Um, I mean, shoot, we retired him in his fifties. <laughs> Not 50s. a bad life. And right so there. he, uh, you know, <laughs> I had that conversation. I said, you know what, I, um, it's going to be hard, but we've decided, like, with the family, uh, with my girls, there's better places there's things we want to see there's places we want to be raising our girls in montana is going to be more palatable for me on the level what i see what's happening in washington state it was getting kind of gross there to be honest how many years ago was that it's four years ago okay yeah so makes sense i feel like i put my time in with the family business Uh, i did it as long as i could and i am so grateful that my wife talked me into taking the leap walking away from it Obviously, there's a lot of, I want to make sure that nothing crumbles. I want my, you know, my family to keep Be successful, rocking. yeah. And my cousin is one of the hardest workers in the world, and he took it over, and he's crushed it ever since. That's so, so cool. So I feel good about that. It's funny talking about, like, pumping shrimp and all that kind of stuff. Because yeah. <clears throat> for generations in my family in the Bay Area, for sturgeon fishing, oh, if, if you— was it. it. Well, it was, it was uh, ghost shrimp. And mud shrimp. Ghost shrimp. Yeah. So ghost shrimp, they call them sand shrimp, but they're truly, their name is a ghost shrimp. So that was one of the bigger parts of our business. So we had leases on beaches up and down Camino Island and all that. And we would go out there with the water pump and pull these ghost shrimp, sand shrimp, out out of the sand on low tide. So you're literally on your knees for six hours during that tide. Three hours on the way out, three hours yeah. on the way in. Working your way down. And then you're working, working the skip, your way back up. Making sure the boat doesn't get stuck. <laughs> 300 feet of fire hose, you know. Checking with, with a, a checking with a broom, something. Yeah, yeah. Making sure the seat, you know, the intake doesn't get plugged up. All those fun little things. <laughs> Riding out winter storms and then suffering in the, you know, it's funny because like the, the summer tides are generally in the daytime. The winter tides are at night. So you get those nasty winter cold storms and it's, you're riding. It's like, it's like, uh, oh, what's that show? That um, the crab show up in Alaska. I know what one you're talking one. about. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the nights are just like that. Like in, in a 22 foot skiff, we're, we're out there when we shouldn't be just riding up those storms and out there for just getting sand trim for the business. Sacrifice, but, man. <laughs> no, it was, um, no, it was fun. It was, it was cool. Like I said, it was a good, clean, honest job. Um, supported a lot of families mm-hmm. and yeah, it was just time to move on. Yeah. We would use, a. A four-inch PVC pipe. Yeah. And then just... You... So you want to know the evolution of that? Just yeah, so you I, do. Know. I do. Okay, I do, so I do, I do. So I'm going to tell my dad this, It too. started out with a clam gun. And this is like back in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. The early 80s. Uh, folks would go out, and they figured out that sand shrimp, ghost shrimp, were really effective on sturgeon, salmon, and steelhead once they hit the rivers. Yep. Now they work on a lot of other things on the, in the salt. But um, so my dad created this suction pump he took the plunger you know like a toilet plunger Mm -hmm. he uh he built a plunger with a handle pvc handle on it so he basically took that clam gun where there's that one hole 
cut the top off, put a plunger to it, sealed it up, turned it into a suction gun. Mm -hmm. So that was the evolution of that. And then from that little suction, because we would go out and with that suction gun, we would pump like two five-gallon buckets of sand shrimp. And that was about all we could do on a six-hour tide. Then fast forward to figuring out there's this incredible piece of machinery called a water pump where you have an intake, but you got to have water. You know, that's why we had the boat. We introduced the boat into it. And then you have this dependent on 300 to 600 feet of fire hose with a PVC wand off the end of it. And now we're getting 20, 30, 40 buckets of ghost shrimp, which for folks that don't know, ghost shrimp are an invasive species. Um, they do. That's why the sand is so sinky out there on the beaches, out mm-hmm. on the Puget Sound. But, well, and, uh, and I can tell you this. I mean, you want to go buy a dozen ghost shrimp down at my local bait shop in California where I go. Cost you five, six bucks. Oh, no, no, no. It costs you <laughs> like 14 bucks. Ooh. Yeah. Geez. So it's funny because all those shrimp, most of those shrimp down in California came from us. Yeah. And they still do. I bet. So, yeah, we're, we, we got were to bringing point... buckets, like sometimes 40, 50 buckets down to Alaska Airlines and they're shipping them down to California especially that northern northern end, you know, and they're all going for sturgeon. Well, and we got to a point where because of the irregularity of bait making it down alive yep. was so bad. And we had, we called them um, shrimp hotels. And it's a big styrofoam block yep. with holes. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And we could put the shrimp in that and they'd maintain, we'd preserve them a little bit and stick them in the freezer. Yep. And we'd get, you know, 10 dozen shrimp at a time, 20 dozen shrimp. Right. And then you're good all year where if you take your boat down and you're about to go out and you go to the bait shop and all they got is grass shrimp, kind of <laughs> exactly. fucked. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. The ghost shrimp world. So we were man, on the receiving like, end of every uh, all your hard work, man. So I appreciate would, that. We would send them down and there's this whole process to try to keep them alive. And, you know, once we ship them, we don't know what's like temperatures and whether they get picked up oh, off the airport real quick. Or, yeah. you know, you got to try to, you know, if they're sitting in there and there's urine that builds up in those buckets Mm -hmm. if they don't get them out quick enough you got problems so yeah it's it's an ugly it can get ugly on the other end you know trying to keep those things alive because as soon as we take them out of sand ultraviolet light anything it's all killing it's just a slow death yeah so you know we keep them in sawdust wood chips for about seven eight days catching catching sturgeon with those ghost shrimp nothing better yeah i mean nothing better and the best part when we go pump mud shrimp you know, we're pulling out eight inch long mud strip that look like bananas. Yeah. You know, instead of going down to the yeah. the guy at the at the bait dock and oh, yeah. getting these little tiny three inch three inch mud shrimp. Yeah. Oh but, yeah, blood worms. I mean there's just a million different pieces that we would we would Now get is into. a blood worm a pile worm or is it no, they're two different, it's different worms? Different. Okay. Yeah, pile worms are different. But pile worms are nasty little fuckers, man. Yeah, they are. Got those two little teeth that got just a beak on them. Yeah, dude, they snap you. <laughs> oh, that's so yeah. crazy. Yeah, the bait world, man. Yeah, I've been four years out of it, but uh, yeah, I remember everything about it for yeah. sure. It's still it, relevant, it man. For so long. We still. I mean, one of the biggest things every year, me and my dad talk about. I mean, I've only lived up here for one fishing season so far, but yeah. you know, sturgeon in the San Francisco Bay Area is a big thing for us, Huge. and. Uh, this year, the sturgeon never even came out of the 
came out of the Delta, really. Oh, really? So it was a terrible year for sturgeon fishing, but I was on standby with my dad. Mm -hmm. As soon as the bite got hot, I was jumping on the next flight out and going down and getting on the boat and going sturgeon fishing. Because that, I mean, (laughs) my grandfather would always, he'd go, he was known for this in the Bay Area. He he would go out and he'd sturgeon fish with a 12-weight fly rod, bait fishing with a fly Mm -hmm. rod. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that I'll do it because my grandfather is, you know, just left such an immense impression on me as far as who he was, what he did and his life as an outdoorsman, you know, so bait fishing and catching a seven foot sturgeon on a 12 weight fly rod is like mm. one of the most exciting and thrilling experiences of a lifetime. Oh man. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, you guys down there in Northern California, you guys had you guys had some great fishing. I mean, the sturgeon fishery. Not so much anymore. It's always changing, and that was the that was like the difficulty in the bait world because everything is always changing. Yeah. The regulations or fisheries to go up, to go down. Well, I think we the had fresh to really water diverse. going into the San Francisco Bay is at such a minimal yeah, yeah, yeah. amount compared to what it used to be decades right. ago that our fishery, excuse me, our fishery is just you know salmon, stripers. Sturgeon, halibut, everything is hurting. Sea lions have made, yeah, it's kind of like the made wolves, a huge wolves over here. Yeah. But yeah, so Seal many different bombs, pieces. Seal bombs, man, they were, they're real things. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure funny. you used a couple in your that's, day. That's funny. Yeah, we we had to get so diverse. Like um, when I say sand shrimp was the better part of our business, it turned into more of like a herring and anchovies and sardines. Herring trays and are good. bellies and all the things, mackerel, all those things. Yeah. So we had those fish pens, like we would have multiple fish pens. We still do. And we're live hauling these fish back to these, these docks, these, these nets. And we're free swimming them around for, you know, depending on the time of year, sometimes weeks. And then, yeah, we're taking them out, bringing them back to the shop, processing them with a big crew of folks, sizing them, uh, culling out anything without scales. If you're a fisherman, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. They need to be shiny. And then, yeah, flash freezing them, vacuum packing them, boxing them up, and sending them to California or to North. Can't you know, tell you how many Alaska. trays, how many trays I've gone through. Oh yeah, you've probably bought a lot of our stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. That's so wild to me. How crazy. Yeah, yeah it was. That was a big part of my life for a long time. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge part of but my life fun, for the, a long time. The funniest too. thing, Andy, is like you know. I, I make fun of fly guys and yet I am one like I love fly fishing absolutely mm-hmm. love it um, and I do it a lot but I also go the other way and I, I take my kids out and we spinner fish and we do this and that and you know the one thing that bothered me about fly fishing guys sometimes is the snobbery and the arrogance that comes with it mm-hmm. and I see it in the bow hunt space Touted. too yeah for sure and man I mean if somebody wants to fish a different style than you who cares who are you to say that they should be doing it your way mm-hmm. and so that kind of was a, a drag and it kind of bummed me out when i got really deep into the fly world you get involved with these clubs and the eliteness you, you hunt yeah you fish the elite the cream of the crop guys you know we were fishing guys like well back then it was like uh phil knight and those type guys you know like we got a lot of coaches for some reason um and and yeah like upper end guys were yeah they'll throw 12,000 on a trip for a week of fly fishing, catch and release, no problem. And they're just, they're happy to do it. And um, there's some great, great folks that do that and they still do. But then you get that, those group of guys that do it a lot and it almost, they just don't have any respect for it at all. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like they're doing it just for a photo. 
just for some bragging rights. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a bum deal, but um, for the most part, you know, we met a lot of good people. Um, but I guess where I was going with that is, you know, yeah, I went from bait to Uber elite fly fishing and doing that side. Um, but I like just both sides. I it's just like the hunting thing we talked about. I have no problems grabbing a rifle or a muzzleloader or a bow, whatever gives you the best opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if you want to challenge yourself, great, knock yourself out. But I hate seeing the the elitism in yeah. fly fishing as well as well. And same within hunting. the hunting world as well. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you brought up the the trophy photo. So of course I'm going to go down the hunting rabbit hole with the trophy sure. photo. Uh, what what do you what's your perspective mm -hmm. on the grip and grin like do you think that that is is mm -hmm. a bad thing or do you think that it's you know i uh i'm old school so i don't personally see it as a bad thing yeah. like i just don't i i feel like this is an accomplishment it's not well there's not, so much that goes into a grip and grin before the grip and grin is actually taken yeah i mean the smile um you have an understanding trophy, of that yeah yeah because you were there like i know when i take an animal yeah there's some there's some um sadness i guess a little bit of somberness when you come up on the animal but you're also elated like you're you're so pumped up because you worked Euphoric. your tail off to get there whether it's 10 it, days in the field or 45 days in the field yeah i mean a lot of the guys out there now um you know we train all year we eat right we put a lot into the gear that we take out on these trips we put a lot of energy and weight into these trips and money and money financial obligation Absolutely. is a huge part especially these days with all the high-end gear that comes yeah. out and how good it is and how good um how well it performs in the field on these hunts where, oh, yeah. I mean, I've got photos where I'm hunting in a, in a wool rich button up and, and wool rich bibs. Sure. And that was like the cream of the crop for hunting gear at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know, I think, I think in the end, um, you're smiling because you worked your ass off, like we said, and, and you accomplished something great mm -hmm. and, um, you feel like you couldn't be any more happy at that moment. So I don't have a problem with it. I'll always do it. I'm always going to take that picture. <laughs> you, always gonna, um, you know, I guess, I guess the ultimate question is, do we show it off? I don't know. I mean, yeah. Are they, are folks that don't understand it going to use it against us? I just feel like it's our job to educate. Those Represent people. well. Yeah. Educate them. Talk. Now, yeah, there's always going to be some ugly and gross in the social media world. You know, if it's brown, it's down, all that kind of stuff. But we can definitely talk about what we do in a better way. Mm -hmm. um, well, we always will be able to be a little better at what we do. But you know, a gripping grin with a good explanation of what it meant to you and all that, I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah, I don't have any problem with it. I don't want to take. I wouldn't want to if I had the, if I had the say all in all of this, I wouldn't want to take that away. Yeah, um, because it's going to offend some folks. Doesn't matter what we do, we're always going to offend some. It's folks. It's hunting. It's yeah, taking gonna... the life of a living animal. Mm -hmm. Like. That's going to offend somebody all the time. Absolutely. No matter what. I mean, I can't tell you how many different times I've gone to cooks and people were offended strictly on the fact that I was serving an animal that I had killed myself. Sure. And, and that was like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. I mean, give it 10 minutes with the meat cooking and they're eating it. Mm -hmm. But there is always an offended person 
Yeah. You know, especially coming from the Bay Area in California. Look, uh, these days, if you try to appease anybody and everybody, you're not going to do much. There's not a whole lot left. Limited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you can't, you can't post much. You can't do much if you're worried about offending anybody and everybody. Because yeah. these days, uh, people are always offended about everything you say. Um, there's just haters out there. And, you know, we try to be respectful as we can, but that's about the end of it. Yeah. Be as respectful as we can. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. You yeah. know? For sure. And still live our own lives, loving what we love. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean... And, and, and look, we're, we are putting this out there um, to a group of people that understand what we're doing. Right? Yeah. I'm not putting stuff out there to, like, say, hey, look at me, kill the trophy. It's like... I, I love seeing these other photos that other f- folks share because I know the work that they put into it as well. I mean, they accomplished something great. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be proud of that. So uh, I'm not, I'm not ever going to bash folks for that. Yeah. Just well, sense. and I know for me, like for a long time in, in the starting out of my California hunting career, like the biggest thing for me was like, if I saw a legal buck, I was going to kill it. I mean, mind you, I'm hunting a unit that's 3% success ratio for public land. Mm. Um, but also, I mean, for myself, I was dependent on that because if I didn't kill an animal, I wasn't doing any flip-flop barbecues. <laughs> and like, yeah. for me, for my entire life of, of hunting, like that has always been one of the biggest driving forces behind it, mm-hmm. you know, is getting together with 60 or 70 folks mm-hmm. and feeding people, you know, we'd have abalone and oysters and halibut salmon anything you know coupled with venison hindquarters so that was always a very very big part for me of it you know it's like getting getting those legs and being able to provide sure for people that never ate wild game in their life and then changing their opinion yeah no i love what you do man everybody (laughs) walks away from one of your experiences with a smile on their face yeah talking about it for a long time after yeah absolutely it's been a wild ride growing it yeah it's been a wild ride growing it yeah no i'm glad you did it's it's cool um i think uh you know like we have these events you know and we're fortunate to have you partake in some of these events i'm excited yeah and you so we'll we'll talk about that you you run the western hunting summit Mm -hmm. and it's it's a it's a pet project that you started and it's totally doing well it's been going for a few years now yeah, yeah and you're offering experiences to new hunters and maybe even people who are a little bit more seasoned and taking them out and showing them the ropes hands-on in the field, um, giving them a new grasp on what they can achieve while they're out. Yeah. You know, it started off when we, when we kicked this off, it was like four years ago was the first event. And, uh, it was a really heavily into the education. Like if you want to take this thing on that we do this Western hunting thing that we do, we're going to have speakers there to present, to fill your head with all the information that you want. Um, and that was, that was what it was based around. And we had this, we offered this experience of an overnight hike. And we'd take them and kind of guide them up the mountain and, and let them stay on the mountain with us. And we'd just, you know, glass up animals and do whatever we could to make, make it a good time. Show it's them what you're doing while you're yeah. in the field. Actually, like, speak to what we would do in this scenario. You know, when we're looking at a bear over here, how do we approach it? What would we do? Where are the glass and points you're looking for? And that's where it has evolved into more of the experience with some education tied to it. 
we want guys to come. It's a four-day event. Um, we want them to come and have the ability to freely ask any and all questions to multiple speakers. Well, and as a hunter's education instructor for eight years, something that I'd always hammer home on any class that I was teaching was come up to me after this, ask me any question you want. As far as I'm concerned, there is no stupid question because yeah. I'd rather it get answered now than get answered by a violation in the field. Yes. hundred percent. You know, no, it's a great way. And that we try to stress that as well. Like, don't walk away from this event after four days and not have every question answered. Um, ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we try to answer them a lot through presentations. We also do these hikes. We do some challenges with some 3D shooting, rifle course, all these different things. So we try to make it educational, a lot of fun, a little bit of challenge to it. Like we do some mountain tough workouts out there and we just, mountain you know, we want guys walking away with some stuff in their head really really tired and <laughs> and feeling like they got a lot out of those four days yeah. and so we're, we've had a lot of fun with it um and we got some great presenters just guys that have a ton of they're better educators than i am like i said i'm not a great speaker so i bring guys that, that, that are good that speakers. are good speakers in and they can they can really present well in whatever topic that they're there for so elk summits mule deer summits um we introduced a family camp this year too for folks to bring their kids. Yeah, the family um, camp's gonna be fun. I'll be at that yeah, one for yep. the for for the length of it. I'm really yep. excited about that. Yeah, so folks will have their. I was just talking to a gentleman today that grabbed a pass. He's got a couple of grandsons coming along, and they're at that age of like 14, 13. So they're gonna want to stay in on some of the education. They're also gonna want to go out with. Um, you know, some of the kids and just have fun. Mm -hmm. uh, last year we had one out towards the crazy mountains and we had a lot of, we had quite a few kids there and my daughters are like leading the charge on some of this stuff. So they're out catching snakes and frogs and catching brook trout <laughs> and stuff like that. So this place will be no different yeah. um, with the kids that show up. They'll just be having good, clean fun out there on the mountain. Yeah. And I think that that's so beneficial too for, <clears throat> a lot of kids that might be coming from cities, you know, and, and they don't have a lot of exposure to the outdoors. They don't have a lot of exposure to getting down in the mud and really kind of just being a boy or a girl that's just having fun outside using their imagination, you yep. know, kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier where, you know, nature for me was such an intrinsic part of, my youth and my upbringing and, and what that brought about for me is still so bountiful to this day. Yeah. Like it's, it's changed me and shaped me into the person that I am today. And without that, you know, if I would have just been stuck in a cement sea my entire life, who knows where I'd be, who knows what I'd be doing? Would I even be alive at this point? Sure. Like there's, I think for those of us that are, we've been blessed to see nature a mm -hmm. bit. Um, you know, believe it or not, there's a lot of people that never do, they never see it and they don't even know it exists. Like they don't know this world that you and I know. Mm -hmm. They don't know being up on the mountains. They don't know standing out on a lakeshore catching brook trout. They don't know that. And so, um, they're missing a lot. And so they get in, they get wrapped up into some things that maybe aren't good for them. Um, some of us were, were blessed with great parents. Some of us are not. Mm -hmm. Some of us grow up in the city. Some of us don't. We're, we're exposed to it all the time. So, yeah, trying to create these little places where um, if they have any interest in it at all, like, come on out and we're going to show you kind of this life. Spend some time on the mountain, 
glass up some critters and you'll probably fall in love with it and maybe that'll <laughs> change your maybe that'll change your life you know from here on out because you're going to want to avoid certain things in life so that you can do this more um and i think for me like i said i don't know where i'd be if i didn't have that out yeah. my backyard if i was a city kid who knows what i'd have got into yeah you know don't know right but i think uh having nature fishing hunting hiking all that available to me i sure as heck didn't want to screw anything up so i didn't have it yeah so they couldn't do it yeah and that's I mean, where i'm at still today i'm a boring person because i want to make sure i can go hunting and fishing still well and these days like i'll i'll cross a lot of guys that are getting into archery uh simply because the, they have lost their privilege of owning firearms due to felonies or whatever yeah. their their past life may have been and for me it's it's a very interesting situation because the only difference between me and that person is that, you know, they ended up getting caught and, yeah. you know, I, I never did. And that's literally the only difference between our existence and what had happened. So for me, I always find it so important to be able to take, to help these guys or, or go out with them and show them the ropes and pass along the information and let them know that there is a way out. There is, there is a whole other life out there that's outside of anything maybe they've ever experienced, but can give them the exact same feelings that they were chasing doing something else. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like I said, some are privy to it, some aren't, but I think when guys do become privy to it, like they get experience some of that, um, maybe it's not for everybody and it probably isn't. But I think it's for a lot of people, they just don't know it's for them because they They've have had no opportunity it. or they didn't have a father that showed them. Yeah. Some of us are really lucky in that regard. Yeah, and these camps get to provide that experience. So when they do decide to go on the adventure on their own, mm -hmm. they can actually, they, they can have a little bit like of better understanding of what it means to bring an MSR or a jet boil with you and the importance behind camping near water. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like things that we don't even think about anymore, but because it's really so second nature. Yeah. They're yeah. intimidating for people that haven't done it. So yeah. So we're going to have kids there and they're going to be off doing their own thing, but those, their own thing is going to also be, you know, how to build fire, you know, how to not get lost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what gear do you need? How do you fit a backpack? <laughs> things like that that we don't think about anymore but it's important to them you yeah. know, if they're 14 or 10 um they've got a billion questions yeah and so yeah so this event you know it's constantly evolving and this year we're introducing the kid thing to it so it'll be fun but um you know we've got folks that are just getting into hunting to folks that are very well versed in hunting <laughs> they may just want to come out for a fun time and try to challenge us on some shooting and, you know, just have four days in Montana on the ranch, um, having fun, meeting new people. And we've had a crud ton of folks just make connections, hunting buddies at these camps. Cause a lot of them are mentors kind of, and peers. Yeah. Mentors and peers. These, these guys get our number, any questions for the rest of the year, they're contacting us and reaching out and they have all the ability to do that. Um, but a lot of hunting friendships and partners, and buddies are being made at these events because they're at the same level. A lot of folks kind of just getting into it and they're looking for like-minded people um, just like themselves that are just starting out. And so it just kind of fits. Well, and it, it's so interesting and something I found a lot in California in a lot of the hunter's education courses was 
I'm finding the age bracket of new hunters out there was like 25 to 45. It wasn't 10 to 15 year olds. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And it was people that grew up never around hunting, never had experienced it other than, you know, negative media criticism or whatever was, you know, the hot, the hot topic at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, they catch an episode of Joe Rogan or they catch. Yeah. And that's where I think social has done us a world of good. Like I see this resurgence. Yeah. There's like a resurgence in folks getting interested in hunting and the outdoors lifestyle. You and I were talking before this, that we started recording about the meat aspect and hunters need to be the ambassadors for all things, clean eating. Mm -hmm. We should be, we should already be there. Um, you know, don't let the health sphere world out there own that space. Because they're buying their meat from wherever, Whole Foods maybe, and that's fine. But we, we got our own way of doing it, and it's a pretty dang good, clean way to do it. You know, organic meat is nothing new to us. Yeah. And, and it's what we've been eating our entire lives. Sure. You yeah. Know, whether, and and especially for a guy like space. you and myself, like mm-hmm. we've either caught it or hunted it, hunted it yeah. our entire lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, my wife and I are big into all sides of the plate. So we do the garden side and we mm-hmm. do the meat side. And she's way more healthy than I am. She's, a, <laughs> she's a, one of those naturopathic physicians. But um, she's ridiculously cool and smart. And, um, you know, we've had fun educating people on the gardening side too. So you got that half of the plate, you got the meat side of the plate, you're covered. Like yeah. you can be self-sufficient in this space. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and it just takes a little know-how and a little desire to do it. And I think we, as hunters, we've already got this clean meat thing going on. Mm-hmm. We can own this space, and we should. We should. We should. And have I think for a that that's time. that's a possibility. I think the the biggest battles that will happen in the growth and changing of all of that landscape is going to be battling with the beef industry and mm-hmm. battling yeah. with you know slaughterhouse farming and everything like that. Um, because they've been ruling the day since, you know, the sure. civil war. Yeah. Yeah, for you sure. Know. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, you know, the organic thing that has cropped up, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's important. Well, the um, organic thing in the nineties compared to the organic thing that's going on today are sure. two completely different organic things. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like Absolutely. at some point they just started slapping labels on things, Saying calling it, organic. it organic or organics. Oh, the rules have changed. Yeah. For sure. 100%. And not just in the meat. It's it's all things organic. But yeah. No, I, I think we've got a pretty clean way of, of getting our own food. Um, we got the know-how, the knowledge. We can educate those um, if they want to have an interest in either growing it or, you know, harvesting it themselves. Yeah. So, no, I like, I like, um, I like where we're at, honestly, with the hunt space. Because yeah. I feel like we are bringing a lot of new people in. And love social media or hate it. Social media, does it hurt? Maybe a little, but I feel like the benefit far outweighs the negative right yeah. now. It's it's introducing it to a lot of people that just they would have never come across it. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. City folk and well, folks that something that I, with it. something that I like that's going on right now too. In and I mean, obviously, we're our worst enemies, right? We we fight each other uh, and amongst each other more than anybody else. Then, yeah, right. So <laughs> for sure. And I, and I'll and I want to get into this a little bit. Is like. You know, you look at what Meat Eater has done for 
for hunting and the hunting public and getting more folks involved and showcasing hunting in a different light than it's really ever been shown before through the Netflix and everything that they have going on there. And, and you have modern huntsmen and what I've really liked to see in, in everything always the pendulum swings, right. And there's always a rebalance, you know, um, to me, it seemed like it got very PC and very politically correct and very, we have to control the narrative of everything that we're saying and all that kind of stuff. And up pops field ethos and everything that they're doing and taking it back into a whole different direction of like, hey, we're hunters and this is what we do. And you don't have to like it. You know, you don't have to hate it. You don't have to like it. But this is just us at our rawest, purest form. And I've really been appreciating watching the rise of that. And, yeah. and kind of, it's, to me, it's a balancing act. I mean, I think it's important to have both sides of the spectrum because there is obviously two different brands of hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having that, that balance, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, I think that it helps keep both sides of the hunting community in check Mm -hmm. right and it helps everybody stay a little bit more accountable to themselves and what they're doing and why they're here and you know what i mean making sure that there's checks and balances 100 percent. yeah i mean we don't want to go all the way to that one side where Mm -hmm. it's just like we don't care we don't give a rip we're going to say it how we want to say it yeah um that doesn't help us yeah um, but then we also don't want to give up all these things that we understand that we don't have problems with that maybe a couple people do. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just eliminate that because a couple people don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's like, there's a balance in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, checks and balances, right? You know, we keep both sides <laughs> in play. I don't want to ever be so PC that I can't talk about things. Um, I have to watch every word. Yeah. It just sucks. Or you <laughs> it's can't like, it's, it's so funny when people are getting, screened or shadow banned or whatever because they're posting processing meat Mm -hmm. pictures but someone can post a picture of eight raw steaks bought from a grocery store and there's no fucking issue there and it's like wait a minute wait a minute this doesn't make sense yeah and the censorship (laughs) on that stuff goes like you know youtube is really bad about youtube and they upped it they upped it like and was it six or eight months ago they like (sighs) took it to a whole new level as far as um uh monetization Mm -hmm. and everything like that that away with hardly any violation right now yeah um so yeah we're trying to like you know i i work with another gentleman brian we do these a lot of films and stuff like that these days um and we're trying to get away from youtube i just don't like i'm not a big fan of their what goes on behind the scenes um and so being independent of that you know we're we're over at locals.com right now Mm -hmm. so we've got our own little channel over there and we can actually show breaking down an animal. We can yeah. show the skinning part, the processing of meat, hanging of meat, and we don't get banned for it or censored or it's just a it it's just, a group it of is accepting people. Yeah. yeah, and they actually understand it. The folks behind YouTube But it's the San Francisco to, powerhouse. They, they don't have to understand it and they don't even have to explain why it's so offensive. It's just Nope, ain't gonna fly. It offends us. It doesn't offend anybody else, sure. but it offends us. I don't know what these community guidelines are, but it must be a long, long list of them because Something they, I don't want they to throw read. that out a lot. <laughs> this goes against community guidelines. Oh man, yeah. So I, I think it's important right now, seeing a lot of these other opportunities for folks to get away from 
the censorship type platforms like YouTube. Yeah. Um, Instagram, Facebook, they're all kind of tied in. But yeah, I like I like seeing where we're heading with um, other ways or other places to put our stuff. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, maybe it doesn't get out to the masses. Um, it doesn't have to. You know, some of these places can be for just hunters. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, well, you look at something like Sportsman's Channel, right? Or an Outdoors Channel, any, any of the Outdoors Channels. I don't know what it costs now, but I've heard in the past to, in order to have a TV show running on any of the, any of those networks, you know, you're looking at a quarter million, 500,000, whatever, and you have to get sponsorship and you have to mm-hmm. jump through all these hoops. And these guys at the end of the day are maybe clearing 40 or 50 grand a year in order to yep. make their quote TV show happen. And the only people that, those shows were going to was hunters mm-hmm. because they're the ones who were interested in watching sportsman's channel or well they also put all the restrictions like you can't show like the breaking down like we just talked about oh you can me. do you can't, that you, huh on on sportsman's channel you can't no i i, I mean no. i assumed that you no, could there's because a long list of things that oh you, get the fuck out of here you can't do oh like, that's brutal sportsman's you know, channel down I, I can't say i, I yeah. will say sportsman's channel for sure but there's a lot of those like the old school tv platforms where they were where there was restrictions like you can't shoot a bedded deer you know you can't show you know breaking down of an animal you can't show that part of it and so there's these like you can't shoot a bedded deer like what does that have to do like what's so offensive about that what's the difference between bedded and standing sometimes it's your best shot like if you're standing over a deer and he's eight yards away and you got your bow drawn back why wouldn't you take that shot if you got the right angle yeah next thing you know he jumps up and he's it's just a guideline they put in there (laughs) yeah because they don't understand it yeah it might offend someone out there i don't know but yeah i don't know i like getting away from all that stuff right so have you checked out i think there's something called rumble rumble we're putting our stuff there too yeah i was looking at that uh it came on my radar maybe four or five months ago yeah far less censorship um much more willing to um, they're just accepting, yep. you know, it is what it is. It's content. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I've trolled around through YouTube rabbit holes and, you know, finding videos of people that are just like, things are happening on the video. That's so heinous. Yeah. That's not offensive. That, and that's not offensive. Like what was it? The ice pick killer, you know, yeah. and there's like a whole gnarly dissection of human being. And oh, it's the like, hypocrisy of censorship these days is own freaking believable yeah like it's it's easy to see if you're yeah and then an ad pops up in the video and you're like wait what (laughs) people are making money off of this youtube's making money off of it yeah sure but yeah you know the youtube thing like we still have our videos there we're kind of using them to grow our audience on this other place yeah you kind of have to man you You have to play that game yeah at least right now for sure hopefully we get away from it sometime yeah i'll be i'll be interested to see how truth social goes when that comes out that's the that's the trump app right the trump app and and i think it's it's having a slow rollout and phases and all different kinds of stuff but i'll be interested to see how well that rolls out and if that becomes a viable source outside of Instagram or TikTok or anything like that. Um, well, I think the platforms went so far censorship so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little bit of catch up for folks that are building these platforms where there is none. Yeah, well like, that and the then time. also like the monopoly that's held yeah. over them. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. what was the one that came out a few years ago that like 
it was doing so successfully well. Parlor. It was Parlor, mm-hmm. and they just killed it. Fucking put the nail <laughs> in the coffin. They were not uh, having it. Yeah, you know, killed it because it didn't align with their politics. So yeah, that's terrifying. It is terrifying. Ugh. And for folks, I mean, your listeners, I'm sure they they see it and they know it, but you can't just bury your head in the sand and act as if that's not happening because there is it's everywhere right now a, a major amount of censorship to the traditional american way of life conservative and, way of life yeah well and I, I would even i would take it past calling it conservative it's 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 the the tradition and foundation that america has been built on sure. right and that is hard working good ethics good morals you know i i don't care if it goes in a religious way or not that's above my fucking pay grade sure. but like anything that is is traditional american way of life and and how this country was built and founded is absolutely 100% censored and restricted and you know and it, to me it doesn't matter if it's the right or the left like yeah. you know i mean i i know plenty of guys that are are left to center that get censored over hunting content mm-hmm. that are hunters and it, it to me it just is so jaw-dropping because it's it's censorship against traditional american way of life because they're trying in my opinion obviously opinions like an asshole everyone's got one sure you know it's and that's what it is you know it's i just want to go back to free speech like it actually means what it's supposed to mean right if you're offended by what i say take it and walk away or leave it and and I, if you say something offensive, I'm not going to cancel you. I don't care. Like you just, we're all going to have different opinions. If we're trying to all have the same opinion. That's fucked. I don't want to live there. I don't want to live there. That's <laughs> not, that's not my brand of tea, no. man. I mean, there's, we all have disagreements, um, with a lot of people, but I, I just can't see the person that says, because you think differently than me, mm-hmm. you've got your whatever. Well, and I grew up. In I don't it. want you to be able to say that. I mean, and I'm sure you dealt with it in Washington to some extent, oh, but in, sure. in California, in the schools I went to and everything, like my parents censored what I was allowed to say in school, could not talk about hunting, could not talk about guns, could not talk about fishing because they were in Marin County where I grew up. Like those are all things that you cannot participate in because if you do, you're going to get called into the office or whatever it may be it was a big part of our move you know when you can't even mention the word like you can't say oh i went like when my daughter paley says i went shooting with my dad this weekend and you can't say that for yeah. fear of getting expelled for two weeks yeah you can't even bring up the word gun like that's that's just crazy well, it's just nuts so i took my nephews out and i can't remember how many years ago this was i took my nephews out shooting handguns shooting ars just taking them out on on what would be a, a general trip yep. right during during hunting season you know and they're having a good time and they're loving it and they went back to their school in palo alto a couple blocks from facebook and they're talking about it with other kids in the class and the teacher calls a parent teacher conference meeting with my sister-in-law and my and my brother because the kids are talking about their uncle who has guns yep. and that's it and they're getting in trouble in school because they're talking about their uncle that has guns. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. It is. 
That's yeah, terrifying. They went zero tolerance, so the word can't even be used, yeah. which is just bizarre. The emoji can't even that be used. That is not on land, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, well, fortunately, like we came here and we found ourselves in a great school district that doesn't put those restrictions on people. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, most of the faculty, they're cool. They hunt. They they get two days off for youth season here, you know, still. Yeah. It's, it's great. They're just... Um, it's. It's just not as PC. It's great. Well, it's just more in, in line with traditional American way of life. Yep. Hunting, yep. fishing, outdoors, you know, having a good time and, and everyone being safe. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, for sure. It's wild. We live in a wild time. It's nutty, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm glad I... You and I both. I'm glad I don't get oh. censored for cooking deer legs yet. Oh, no. Better watch that on the YouTube. <laughs> I don't do YouTube videos. I can't. It'd get, it'd get booted. You'd get community guidelined or whatever. Yeah, some some form of disgruntled bullshit. Yeah, you'd get a strike. Yeah, not in. No. Not so. in. Right on, man. Well, we'll I'm, I'm sure we could keep going down plenty of rabbit holes. I don't want to keep you too, too oh, we long. Could talk, we could talk hunting stories and, and bait fishing for probably three hours here. Yeah, so. absolutely. We'll <laughs> save that for another time. There you go. But thanks so much, man. I appreciate you driving out here and taking the time out of your life and mm-hmm. away from your family to come on down. And I appreciate the offer. Sit down and yeah. wrap with me. I look forward to the events coming up in mm-hmm. June. What are, the, what are the dates for the events? June 9th through 12th, we got a Elk Summit. Uh, 16th through the 19th of June, we got the mule deer. And then the 23rd through the 26th of June is family combo camp. It's kind of an archery rifle, deer, elk combo. Mom, dad, kids, the whole deal. Everybody, yeah. Yeah. All things welcome. Um, So we're packed there in June. And where can people find that if they want to maybe sign up or come out to the family camp or something? So the westernhuntingsummit.com is the site, and you can go there. Elk sold out so fast, and we only have – there's a couple passes left for the mule deer. Mm -hmm. Those are probably going to go pretty quick here. We just started talking about it again. And then there's a couple passes for the family camp. Not many left, but, yeah, yeah, I'd encourage anybody, if you can make one, it's it's a ton of fun. Sign up. Yeah. Sign up. Now, really quick before we exit. Mm Mm-hmm. You have your own line of CBD products. We do. So I want to talk about that just because CBD for me, it was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very difficult pill for me to swallow um, and navigate through sobriety and through mm-hmm. um, wanting to try something that is actually going to benefit my health and immune system and everything, my, my mental clarity I mean, talk about a, a product that has such a, a wide range of benefits oh, yeah. for the individual. So let's talk about that really quick before we before we dive off here. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting supplement because that's kind of how I treat CBD. You know, we, yeah, we have a supplement line. We do multiple products. Um, a big part of it is gut health. It's also inflammation. Well, and gut health is extremely important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that... It's something that hasn't been discussed up until maybe the last couple of years. I've been seeing a little bit more about it. It's a second brain. Yeah, I mean, gut health is everything when it comes to immunity, um, which is incredibly important these days, right? We all know this. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, getting your gut bacteria right. We do do so many different gut products. Um, My wife does programs to kind of bring back, you know, your gut bacteria and and reset it and she's got a 
bunch of things on our website, on our Hunt Harvest Health website, that go into gut health. Um, and she, in fact, she just did a program for a select group of people where they did this gut reset. But that's a big part of it. So we talk about that because it is important. Our supplement line isn't wide ranging. It's for things that we feel like at our age, or selfishly, like they're important to us. Yeah. Um, immunity, health is important to us. That's why we focus on the gut health so much. Also, I'm an old ass hunter, Andy. So <laughs> 48, like I want to be able How to do this till I'm there, 70. <laughs> My knees feel great. Yeah. But I want them to stay feeling great. And so it's, it is a preventative measure. The CBD falls in line with being a preventative type supplement in that it helps you recover. It is great for inflammation. Um, it's got so many different things that it's good for, but well, that's one of the ones that that's one of the reasons that I take it personally. Mm-hmm. I also take turmeric and krill oil and things like that. But CBD is is um, probably the most important supplement that I take. Well, and something that I can speak to for CBD, I mean, my most intensive hunting season that I have ever had in my life, which was a mix of, I don't know, six deer, six mule deer hunts, nine sheep hunts, uh, a couple elk hunts, and, and some other hunts that I probably can't even remember right now. Uh, my, my biggest fear going into that, because I have a bad knee and I have a bad back, was am I going to survive mm. getting through this? Are you going to get all swole up? Or, or am I going to get jacked up? And, mm-hmm. and I would put my money on it. The only reason why I got through that was because of the benefits that I was receiving from CBD. That's you cool. Know, and, and taking it every morning and every night. Yep. And it was non non THC or it's THC broad spectrum f- free. Yeah. So I, I don't broad, know all the, a broad spectrum is THC free. You get a full spectrum. It's got all the pieces to it. So yeah. no, that's cool to hear. And, and it's, it's true. I think, um, you know, for preventative, like we just had this conversation about, we want, we see these places. We want to do this thing. We're in love with the outdoors. I want to be able to do the hunts that I'm doing now well into my late years. Mm-hmm. And, and so anything I can do to keep the inflammation, the overuse injuries that are going to kill my time in the mountains and kill my future, I'm going to take that. And so we focus on health. We focus on anti-inflammatory measures, um, you know, that are going to keep those injuries from cropping up. So, yeah, it's a big part of what I do. Every hunt these days seems to be a 10, 11, 12-day hunt. So we build out <laughs> these long hunts. Yeah. And that's just... You know, 100 days on the mountain every fall. And that's pretty much year in and year. That's you know, every year now is kind of a 10-day trip stacked upon a 10-day trip. And so if you're not conscious of what you're doing to your body, if you're not trying, trying to stay ahead of it with the foods you eat, the subs you take, the CBDs that we're taking, those all play a role in, I mean, I can with 100% honesty say, day one, I feel pretty good. Day 10... I don't feel any worse. Yeah. I feel just as good. Um, and that's just a combination of, like I said, the subs and the food that we're eating on the mountain. Because what if you see that buck, you know, 2,500 feet down on day 10, you're going to say, oh, man, I'm just tired. I just don't have it in the tank. I don't think My knees that, are swollen and yeah. I'm, not re- I'm not even recovered from yesterday. I don't, no, you want to go. That's, your, that's an opportunity. Well, and, I, and I also, this, is, this might come across crooked, but I also think that that kind of will attest to the type of hunter that one is, you know, within themselves and, mm-hmm. and what they're willing to do and sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to 
achieve that moment of success. Because yeah. um, I know for me, no matter what physical condition I'm in, if I see a buck I want to take, going for it. I'm going for it, whether it's the last day or the first day. You know, If you're a public land hunter and you get an opportunity, you better take it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you know, they, that may have been it. So and that's going to fucking haunt you for the tags, next 365, yeah, the man. Year, you're going to be, you know, haunted, like you said. <laughs> that, but, is, that is not a fun no. feeling. I, I, I mean, I still have uh, a buck that haunts me to this day. And it it only haunts me in the sense that I missed my shot, right? And, <laughs> and it was me and my dad were archery hunting. And this is when I was first getting into archery hunting. I was shooting a 1989 Warthog compound bow, right? And that's, it's an old, you know, I had the gnarly three pins that were on a, you know, you had to loosen the nut to, to, you know, and each, each Mm -hmm. little pin was painted a different color, not like what we have today by any means. And, uh, me and my dad are, are doing a push and we're 80 yards apart or a hundred yards apart. And I'm going through this thick jack pine patch and I hear, and I'm like, oh shit. All right. And I stop and 18 yards, 20 yards in front of me, a buck in full velvet walks out and my heart is out of my chest. I can't even breathe straight. And I look past the buck and my dad is on the other side of it at 80 yards away out of shot, out of shot distance, maybe for the time people take that shot now but with the bows and the technology back then it wasn't even an option and my dad's glassing the buck and then glassing me behind the buck 20 yards from it and i go and i'm using uh easton's or eastman's Easton old fat yeah yeah the aluminum 75s yeah with like a thunder with a thunder broadhead on it okay and thunderhead, uh, yeah. yeah thunderhead thanks 125 grain thunderhead yeah and uh i'm going to draw back and i had a metal rest because that's the what technology for the time so on my metal rest my arrow squeaks and i and i tense and i cringe and in that cringe i released my bow with the release that i had on in my hand I don't think they had wrist releases yet. It was like the first string of maybe thumb releases that were coming out. And um, sent that arrow right over that buck's back. And I still replay that. I mean, I cried after I missed. Like, yeah. it was a terrible experience for me as a, as a, you know, a young guy getting into hunting and, and right. getting into archery and blowing my first opportunity. Oh, it will haunt you yeah, forever. You know, still, so obviously, yeah. speaking to haunt, I'm sure you got plenty of haunting stories too. Oh yeah. Every year it seems like every year there's a new one, one critter, (laughs) something you did that will haunt you. Yeah, for sure. But the last thing you want to have haunt you is, uh, you know, your, your drive, like keeping you from going and doing exactly. Um, that would haunt me and I wouldn't forgive myself for that one. Yeah. So yeah, always ready. I think that's a, is that what mountain tough says down there? Those guys that are working out. I think so. Always ready. Always ready. So yeah. that's where the CBD falls in line with me. It's just um, always ready. Want to be at the top of my game um, physically, and I don't want an injury to keep me from doing what I want to do yeah. down the line. So, yeah. so we yeah it, we've we've been um, growing our lineup and kind of focusing it around inflammation type products like that. 
and turmeric and krill and immune probiotics and things like that. Now, so, what do you get? What is the benefits of turmeric and krill? Now, is that similar. like fish oil or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Krill is just like fish oil. Um, my opinion is I think it's a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, less opportunity for the rancidness that you get in a lot of poor quality fish oils. Now, um, turmeric, great anti-inflammatory, really good. And for folks that can't do CBD, um, that's a good one. Turmeric would be probably the highest on the list for next one there. Yeah. Because there's people that can't do CBD. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's metabolized differently for different people. It's, it's a really unique, um, supplement. Well, and then understanding also how CBD works. And that was a big thing for me in in learning and understanding about CBD was, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it takes consistency of, of metabolizing it for it to actually start for you to start receiving full benefits. Yeah. You can't just take it in the morning of it ain't going to work. Yeah. You You know, like, (laughs) you know, for me, it was, you know, 15 to 30 days of taking it twice a day, you know, in the morning and in the night when I went to sleep and really starting to figure out what is feeling better. Okay. How is this affecting my health? What's actually happening here internally, psychologically, everything, you know, because brain fog for me, I mean, brain fog was a, a big thing Mm. that it seriously helped. And, and that mental clarity, which in the field is immensely beneficial Yeah, and it, and it, helps it helped me with my in the field drive and how far I was willing to push myself and you know am I going to go over that next ridge or am I calling it for the day what am I you know what's my next move on this hunt you know if I yeah that's where I feel like it's such a huge benefit like I said before 10 day trips you're getting up early in the morning every day mm-hmm. you're out all day you come back tired you've been hiking for miles uh, recovery is so dramatically better with CBD I, I do the full spectrum stuff um, throughout the year, I take 50 milligrams a day every day now. Mm-hmm. Then once I get up to hunting season, um, a couple weeks before it, I go as high as 75 to 100 milligrams a day of CBD because I know my body's getting ready to go through some abuse. Serious through September, abuse. October, you, November. You're prepping right? your so, body for what you're about to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I keep it at that level. And um, with 100% honesty, I feel way better today at 48 than I did in my 20s mm-hmm. just because of... Not just that, but diet things, you know, obviously, but that's a big part of it. Huge part of it mm-hmm. for, um, inflammation and just, uh, you know, put the things into my body that, that help it. Yeah. So what are some little things that people can do as far as gut health mm-hmm. to improve their gut health and being just subconsciously conscious of, yeah. you know, what they're putting in their body and how they can actually change their gut health? Yeah, I think, well, one thing you could do, you could go, there's a, there's a whole free program on our website, um, huntharvesthealth.com. You can go there, get a, get a program. It's free, uh, and it can kind of walk you through all of it. My wife would be much better to explain all these <laughs> things. She's a doctor, so she, she can talk to it very well. But, yeah, it's a lot of um, the foods that you would take in. Uh, there's, there's reset supplements that, that she promotes, um, kind of that restores your gut. You know, everything from for folks taking antibiotics these days and, you know, some people take them quite frequently, rebuilding your gut so it's actually breaking down the food and you're actually absorbing the, the minerals from your food that you're taking in. It's really important because if you're not, you're not getting a whole lot out of that food. Yeah. Um, so those type things. And 
Uh, gut is where your immunity comes from. I'll say it again. And so you want it to be functioning. And what my wife does with a lot of people is, you know, she'll, she'll look at people's blood work and see where they're deficient and things like that. And oftentimes it comes back to their gut bacteria is just piss poor. Mm-hmm. And so they're not breaking their foods down. They're not getting that absorption. And there's things that you can do to help that. So I'd like to look into that for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. It's a popular one. As unsexy as gut health sounds, it's like... Uh, <laughs> no one wants a leaky it, gut. <laughs> no, it's it's actually really important and it can make your world much better. Yeah. Well, and you can start finding deficiencies like in your fingernail growth and, sure. you know, all different areas of your, of your body or, you know, like for me, like I'll get... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, eczema bad, mm-hmm. you know, really dry flaky skin, you know, and it's all directly, everything is all encompassed into the diet and how the body is processing what you're yeah. putting into it. That's where natural paths are very good because mm-hmm. they look at your blood work. They look at your diet. They look at your lifestyle. They look at all these things and they'll literally spend like an hour and a half time with you Yeah. versus, oh, here's some antibiotics. Get out of my, <laughs> <laughs> like, here's some, here's some pills. Um, and so they're very good. And my wife's been in that space for a long time and she helps a lot of people with just that. Like when you look at your blood, pa- blood panel, if you get blood rain every year and you look at it, you can kind of break it down as to what's helping, what's hurting, what you need, what you're deficient in. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do that regularly. It doesn't break the bank and um, it's important, especially for guys like us that I'm I'm getting older and older and older. I'm almost over 50 here. So, um, and we treat our bodies. We don't sit around like we, we abuse them. You know, what's interesting though, if you go back 150 years, we still don't treat our bodies as terribly as those guys did. Yeah. You know, I yep. mean, mind you, life expectancy might've been a little bit shorter. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, sure. I couldn't imagine pushing a wagon across the country, Mm-mm. you know, and, and coming across content, the content, the continent, Yeah. you know, and, and really. Can you imagine? No, no, not <laughs> no, like, got it pretty good. I mean, I get to spend a lot of hours driving, mm-hmm. All, all over the country and my biggest thought that happens reoccurring everywhere I go is how the fuck did people get wagons through here? how did they do this before how the did they vehicle? do this you know what I mean yeah like, yeah no yeah that the history of how that all went down I, I find myself thinking about that when I'm in these like distant places you mm-hmm. know especially down in the desert you know thinking about yeah horses and guys coming across that country uh, lack of water lack of food what you had to carry on hand to get through those giant sections of land that are so desolate yeah it's just brutal i can't remember where i read it It was an article maybe 10 years ago and uh i almost want to say it was in yellowstone where it happened but someone was out hiking off trail and they came across a tree with a rifle sitting next to it and that rifle had to been sitting there for over 100 years crazy huh you know like what that's yeah the story of that would be so interesting i would love to, to know. know the story behind the rifle that got left against mm-hmm. the tree for probably over. an old 30 30 or something yeah you know yeah wild yeah. man no kidding yeah all right well we'll we'll wrap it up there sounds good yeah, yeah. if you really want to know about cbd yeah you get my wife on here yeah she'll she'll educate better than me oh i love dumb to. things yeah that'd be great <laughs> that'd be great i'd yeah. love to man she's good Right on. Well, thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, Andy. You bet. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. 
If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.